Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. And welcome once again to Sessions. Tom Forth joining me as always. And this week we go back to the 80s. Kind of like we've, we've done a lot lately, Tom. Yep. It's been a lot of back to the 80s. Uh, but we have uh, a guy who I would say did very well internationally. <laughs> Alan Frew from Glass Tiger. Of course, Glass Tiger with some huge hits, not just here in this fine country, but uh, across the border, across the world, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, what's Alan up to these days and how has COVID changed how he makes music? And, um, you know, Tom... The story behind him having the stroke has been widely reported over the years. Yeah. But a lot of what we hear from Alan in this conversation regarding his recovery from the stroke and, and kind of what went into it, um, a lot of this stuff is stuff I've never heard before. So uh, I imagine for some of the people listening, they'll be the first time hearing some of the just how deep this story goes yeah it does and and yeah like i, I follow alan on social media and I, I mean i think we get into that in the interview a little bit and and he has it's one of the things that really impressed me about him um was he came back from the stroke and shared his story and made it a strength and uh and you know he talks about it really openly on his social media and and we get to talk to him about it today and it's, it's, it's amazing before we get to alan frew and some brand new music from Glass Tiger. Uh, let's talk a little bit about The Weeknd. There's music from Super Bowl Sunday and The Weeknd performing to, I would say, Tom, very mixed Mixed reviews. And before we get to those reviews, uh, I am going to admit it. I'm going to admit it right now, Tom. I thought The Weeknd was the name of a band, not <laughs> a person. Yep. No, it's a guy. His actual name is Abel uh, McConan Tesfay, I believe. And I'm probably butchering that. So you're telling me that when he was born, his parents did not actually name him The Weeknd? Nope, they named him Abel. Hmm. Well, I guess they were willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but, no, wouldn't you think it's perfect? It's like, oh, congratulations, uh, you have a boy. Oh, what a beautiful boy. What are we going to name him? Hmm. I'm just looking forward to the weekend. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, the weekend. Sounds like a good name. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, it's strange because back in my day, uh, it was the opposite. It was the names of bands that sounded like the names of people. Yep. Right, Jethro Tull, Max Webster, and even more recently, uh, Billy Talent. Yeah, right? yeah. You know what? I think we've reached a point now where I don't know if you can really tell. Like, yeah, like there's there's just so many acts out there. I'm looking at associated acts that the weekend is is known to kind of play with, and and half these half these acts I don't know, and I can't tell if it's a band, a person. Uh, an... Well, the rule of thumb, Tom, was always if it begins with the, it's a band. A person isn't the. Mm. How how much of a big shot do you have to be to become the? But I guess <laughs> uh, he's pretty much earned that right when you think of 
how successful he's been. Yeah. And yeah. and good for for a, for a local kid. Yeah, it's great to see a Canadian. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he is, you know, he's one of those ones I, that I think guys that are our age don't really appreciate. Um but I heard his music a lot when I was when I was in bars and restaurants and uh you know that I can't feel my face um was super popular with the young bartenders and waiters and waitresses and stuff like that when I was when I was working back there. So, you know, I've seen kind of his rise and I don't think in Canada we realize exactly how popular this guy's become. And I mean, he let us know this weekend, didn't he? <laughs> well, that's uh, <laughs> this, this weekend, the weekend. Uh, yeah. And to be on that stage, you have to be you have to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. It happens once a year and it's one artist or band mm-hmm. that's performing. Um the reviews from the people who watched were either this was the best performance I've ever seen or this was the worst performance yep. I've ever yep. seen. There wasn't a lot of gray. Uh, you're more of a gray kind of guy. Yep. So what was your thought on on the performance of the weekend? All right. So I'll come I'll come right off the hop and say I'm relatively gray on every Super Bowl performance. You, you know, really? yeah, you know me. I'm a music guy. I want to see music being performed. I don't want to see dancing, choreography and lip syncing. It wasn't like that back in the day. I guarantee you Bruce Springsteen was not lip syncing. Well, you know, I, I, you're right, <laughs> I hope. But it's certainly like that now. And, and I mean, it, it, the whole thing, it's, it's, there's so much going on. It's so frenetic. Um, it's, it's neat. It's like a spectacle for the eyes. And, and the music's good, right? But it's not a live performance. And I'd rather watch the football. And, um, but as to the job he did... I thought it was, I thought it was a good job. Like I thought, you know, I'm not a huge fan of his music, um, but you know, it was medleyed well, and uh, you know, it it definitely got people up and moving. And I thought that neat little thing they did, where he went into the uh, the the tunnels, like the golden tunnels, and he was kind of running around lost. Um, you know, that was that was really neat. That visually, that was really cool. I think it might have sucked for the people in the stadium. Um, and then the other only surprising thing is that he had Slipknot up there with him, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the people in the stadium, and, and that's the other thing. There weren't a lot of people in the stadium. So this was, uh, you know, a, a lot different than it would normally be yep. for an artist. The fans are very far away from you. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're all in front of you like they would be at a regular concert. Yep. So uh, for him to be able to perform the way he did, yeah, I, I definitely give kudos to him mm-hmm. the thing that uh well there was some audio issues yeah but i yeah. mean you know that's not his fault no, exactly. right right like yeah <laughs> for me the super bowl was always about not the hottest artist of the day but a classic rock and roll hall of fame artist really when you think mm-hmm. about it now and i completely understand that you know say there's 40 million people that are watching the super bowl there's probably 20 million people that are huge football fans and another 20 million people that tune in for the mm-hmm. commercials and, and the entertainment. Yeah. So I totally understand wanting to cater to that group, mm-hmm. right, and, and do something new. I just wish that there was a classic rock artist that they could have there. And again, I would never, and, you know, 
maybe keep it Canadian because the weekend was Canadian. I'd hate to see us lose a you know Canadian talent. <laughs> but I'm just more of the fan of of the Springsteen and McCartney and Tom Petty, uh, Prince, Janet Jackson. There were some really really solid like artists that have been there a long time instead of you know a band like. Or an artist like The Weeknd or Maroon 5 from, from a year or so ago, right? Yeah, and was it just a year or so ago with Maroon 5? I thought it was a few years back. Oh, it may have but, been. I mean, who knows? I mean, the thing about The Weeknd, he's sold, like, he's moved over, was it 75 million records? So he's been around, uh, I mean, he started his career over a decade ago, I think. And, um, you know, he's been around. And he is, you know, he is a mega star. And... Uh, I think that that was a pretty cool thing that it almost took him, it seems, landing like the ultimate gig for people in Canada to go, yeah, you know what? He is that level. We, we're sitting here talking about it now, and that's, you know, I, I think that's what it is. I think when you get the Super Bowl, you are that level, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, momentarily, right? And, and that, that's the thing. When, when you're having an artist that is new, mm-hmm. um they may not be remembered in 20, 30, 40 mm-hmm. years as now if if they were to go that route, if we were gonna go, okay, let's let's get a classic rock and roll artist mm-hmm. to perform, the first first band that comes to your mind. Foo Fighters. Exactly. Yeah. And how is it they've never played the Super Bowl? Yeah. Right? Uh Pearl Jam. I don't know if I don't think they've ever played the Super Bowl. I think Pearl Jam would be a good one. Per- Pearl right? Jam would be all right, yeah. Um I I Love to see the pumpkins. Um, my oh. old, my old. Are they are they still performing? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. They I think they just came out with a new album. So wow. I, it's funny. I haven't. I actually really haven't heard any of their new stuff to be honest. But um, but I'd love to hear them rock some of the old stuff. Like uh, you know, Cherub Rock would would bring yeah. the, some energy to the you know the halftime show. Um, I don't know if the. I don't know if ACDC is still capable of performing. I mean, you're you're down two members now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if, what they have plans, but if they were, I mean, really, Brian Johnson and Angus Young are still there. So see the two of them, I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yes. You know what? I'm not gonna dis- I'm not gonna discount them. They they stole the show at Sarstock. Yeah. Right, and they're known for their live performances, so that would be a good one. Um, yeah. You know, there's no other bands that really jump to mind right now, and that's something telling about, you know, the state of rock music, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. When was the last really big transcendent rock band that came out, you know, that, that got bigger than the rock charts, that actually charted on the billboard? That's something I'm gonna, I'd am gonna. i love to look into, actually, because yeah. I can't think of one. Mm, well, you know, you could put Green Day probably or, at some yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, the, f- right? the Foos are later than Green Day, though, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard. You know what? There, there's some homework oh. for all of our listeners. Who who are the like the two or three new most successful rock bands in the last ten years? That would be well, uh, I, something we got to look into for next show. I like that. Well, uh, why don't we hear now from one of the most successful rock bands from the 1980s and a relatively new song from Glass Tiger. The song is called This Is Your Life. Stay tuned for our chat with Alan Frew here on Sessions.
street They say that you don't care about me anymore But you know it's in the way they walk In the way they talk I don't believe a thing I don't believe a thing they say You know I love you anyway Anytime, any place You mean the world to me You mean everything to me And that's why I say
There is music from Alan Frew, Glass Tiger. This is your life, and Alan joins us now here on Sessions. And Alan, first of all, uh, you just recently returned from being in Italy. Uh, so are you currently stuck where you are right now for the next little while? Yeah, uh, I've only got, this is day 12. I've only got two more to go. Um, I've been quarantining for the last 12 days. Uh, I'm doing okay. I write, I paint, I draw. And it's so funny. I do my 10,000 steps in my living room. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a treadmill and I tried to buy one and you can't find a treadmill anywhere during COVID. So I do 10,000 steps every day in my living room. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah, I'll do it while I'm watching TV or when I'm editing. I'll just be standing up and just kind of walking on the spot. It's amazing the things that we have to figure out how to do in this new world, right? That's it. So, Alan, how's COVID going for you so far? You know, you've been very active on social media. You've got a lot of fans from your your Instagram interviews that you started right off the hop, bringing positivity into people's lives. Um, you know, how's it going for you, and what are your plans to to keep bringing good content as we go forward? Well, like everyone else, you know, it, it's a struggle. It, it's tough on the brain. Um, I mean, we lost close to 100 shows in 2020. And then the immediate news is not that good. Uh, I got a call from my manager, our manager uh, the other day saying, I don't think you'll play before September, October, if that. Oh. And uh, that's tough. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. So. I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a chameleon. I've always prided myself in being able to go to plan B and C and D and E and keep going. So I've been, um, I've been active online, as you know. I've, I've, I've had my own little show, and believe it or not, I've actually had some people hit me on the peripheral wanting to know if I'd like to up my game and 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 be a podcaster and and maybe go into radio or whatever. Um, I've got a couple of scripts that I've been working with a, a Canadian writer via Los Angeles. Uh, we've been working on, and I'm writing a new book. I put a book out in 2007 called The Action Sandwich, and uh, I'm putting a, a new book out hopefully sometime this year, and I'm working on that. So I'm just trying, Tom, to stay active and because it... it it really, really gets the, I mean, I'm 64 years of age. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And I think like two years of my life are not performing and not singing. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. So um, I just have to look at it positively and say, I've been given this time to focus on these other things. And that's, that's it. Alan, you think back to, you know, when you were trying to make it, uh, with Glass Tiger, you know, in the early 80s. If, if you were faced with something like this back then, my goodness, I mean, you must feel for a lot of these bands that are just trying to get established. And and now touring is, is everything because you're not making any money off record sales anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when the Thin Red Line hit and Glass Tiger was, you know, screaming up the way, I dare say if something like this had happened, uh, we'd still probably sold enough albums 
to keep yourself going until the pandemic cycle. Of course, we didn't have online stuff. And, but for, and I'll give you an example, the manager of Glass Tiger has a, has a new band that he's managing, and two new bands actually, one out of the UK, and he's killing them. He's killing them because they're young, they've got something to say, and the only way for them to say it is to get out there and say it and get on the stage and perform. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, this will, this may kill young careers because the fan base is fickle. And, you know, they'll, when this ends, something else is going to come out and you might get those younger bands that were caught right in the midst of the pandemic and no touring and blah, blah, blah. And the cachet maybe goes down. The other ones I feel really sorry for are the ones that we call the the jobbers, the guys who live hand to mouth and really depend on being out there and being in the bars Monday through Saturday. And the road crews, the guys in the crews, the sound men, the lighting crews, I really feel for those guys. You know, it's funny, you bring up the, the hard times in the industry and uh, you know, we had, just a moment to connect before the interview. And obviously I, I came from the music industry. I had left the music industry and funnily enough, went to the restaurant industry. And it, it's, it's funny, it, it does seem like everywhere we look, everything's getting just fantastically harder to, 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 to make ends meet, to survive, to get by. Um, you know, as much as I, I, it's hard not to focus on that sort of stuff. I, I'd like to take the opportunity to ask you because, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of Canadians may not know about yourself, because your career with Glass Tiger is so huge, is that you've also been a passionate advocate for music as well and for young musicians. So right now, you know, outside of the exciting stuff that you guys are doing, I know you've got a, a gig February 13th coming up, Sessions Live, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, with last Fe Fe February 14th, Valentine's Day. 14th, my, my apologies. Um, you know, are there any bands, is there any music out there right now by young artists that you're seeing that's giving you hope, that's, that's, that's exciting you? Uh, well, I'm going to have to declare to you that um, I'm kind of out of the loop. Um, my connection to young artists has usually been hands-on as we talked about off, mm -hmm. off air. Um, I've crossed paths with young artists who have, I've co-written with, uh, or I've kind of been involved a little bit, trying to help them along with their careers. We spoke about a young man who's been my uh, assistant now, my sidekick, my right arm for the last 15 years, uh, Sean Andrews. Uh, and I discovered Sean back when you were still in music and you guys were playing together. But when it comes to listening to music, I tend to be so saturated with what I'm doing that if I do listen to music, I, I get a little old fashioned mm -hmm. and I run to the classics mm -hmm. that I grew up with and people I was listening to. And I do the same with movies, actually. I make my friends laugh because they'll talk about new TV shows and new movies that are out, and I'm still watching Back to the Future <laughs> and, and The Godfather. Oh, yeah, you mentioned Back to the Future. 
before we go any further, I saw a video that just blew me away where you were superimposed as George McFly. Tell us the, the genesis of that, because that was hilarious. And I'm a huge Back to the Future fan, so you got to tell us how you, you got across doing that. So well, I'll complete my train of thought. I, I, I've probably watched Back to the Future without exaggeration, I don't know, 200 times, yeah, maybe 300. And I do the same with Spartacus, the original. I do the same with The Godfather 1 and 2. So just to finish Tom's train of thought, that's what I do with music. I tend to go back and listen to, as opposed to new stuff that's coming out. But to answer your question about Back to the Future, uh, I, put a, I put a solo CD out. I don't know, uh, um, almost six years ago, but five five years ago. And uh, I called it 80 to 90 Rewind. Mm -hmm. And it's me performing classic songs by other great 80s artists. Simple Minds, Tears for Fears, John Waite, Peter Gabriel. And I put a band together and kind of took it on the road a little bit. Had a lot of fun. Would still like to do it again. And uh, there was a, there's a very clever video and, and um, movie director out there called Sean Haynes. And Sean and my manager and, and I got together and he told me he could do this where he could put me <laughs> into Back to the Future. <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding? So it was really great. They just they put me on a green screen and they, they set a, a tennis ball up on a tripod and said, Michael J. Fox is sitting right beside you. Oh. And I know the dialogue so well. And of course, there's that long, prolonged silence anyway, where he then just goes, you're George McFly. So uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I'd held it back for so long, for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, if you go to my Instagram, uh, which is Alan underscore through on Instagram, you can see it. And it's uh, it's as if I'm in the in the cafe with uh, Marty McFly. Okay, so before we move on, I know, Tom, you've got something you want to add, but I, I've got to ask you. Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2, Back to the Future 3. Are you okay with 2 and 3? Because... Some people are very much no. It's only the original, and I, and and I will admit, Kristen Glover, they really missed him in two and three. Not only am I good with two and three, I love the trilogy. Yeah, me I too. think it's, I think it's one of the very few trilogies that holds up. Um, I know you get the connoisseurs that just can't see past one, but I think that two and three are excellent and mm -hmm. i can as a matter of fact i love three by the way yeah i love when he goes back to the world west so uh, uh i'm good with all three all right, but didn't you find it very weird uh to see how donald trump was very much biff in part two when he became the ruler what it's so bizarre how they kind of like the world that the united states has been for the last four years seems like the alternate universe in part two it's it's a no-brainer i i called him biff uh <laughs> during his during his tenure 
I, I, I used to say it's so, so like Biff Tannen, just the way. And I, I actually, in my book, I talk about, um, uh, I can't conjure it up right now, but there's something personal that I talk about. Oh, I know what it is. I, uh, I come from a very, very, very tough, violent little town outside of Glasgow. And, it's, and Glasgow's known as a tough city. And in the book, I describe when you arrive at the airport and a taxi driver picks you up and he says, okay, mate, where do you want to go to? And I say, Coat Bridge, which is where I come from. He looks at you and he's got that look that Marty and Doc have when they come back and they realize that Biff has changed the timeline. <laughs> 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 you know it brings up a good point like does a does a movie have to be good to be enjoyed like quote unquote good right do they all have to be oscar worthy or can we not have our our guilty fun sort of pleasures of course of course i mean obviously it helps if 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 you know if they're really good and we're but there's movies that we all love that i mean which le leads us into the whole idea of critics I mean, they've been useless in my lifetime. I'll leave this world known. I mean, whoever, whoever judges whether or not they're going to go see a movie because some critic has panned it. I've come across music critics, clashed with them, not just on my own music, but in stuff that I've loved, concerts that I've gone to, and I'm going to listen to some guy tell me that the Queen concert at Maple Leaf Gardens in... 1977 was a bust when there was 20,000 people in there going crazy. Like, forget it. So, yeah, you, you know, I'm sure there's movies we all adore that the other guy thinks is a bit of a stiff. I don't know. And that's the beauty of, of movies. That's the beauty of music is that it's so subjective, right, Alan? I mean, what is crap for one person is something that will motivate someone else. And that's the beauty of it. And when you're when you were writing music from the beginning, what, do you ever think about who's going to like this, or is this going to be widespread, or you just write the song and and whatever life it takes, it takes. That's that's it exactly. That's all you can do. You write it for yourself first, and for everyone else second, um, and then you send it out into the universe, and you trust that. And you hope that, you know, people are going to like it. And one thing I've always said is that a hit song is not a hit song because everybody likes it. That's impossible. A hit song is a hit song because enough people like it to make it a hit. Mm -hmm. So uh, you and I could probably sit down over a beer with someone who hates Back to the Future. Has no time for it. Damn them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When you were writing, like, okay, you say it takes on a life of its own, but as you're writing a song, like when you're in the middle of writing Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone, is there a moment in the writing process that you go, this is going to be big? Like, can you predict it? Can you feel it? I, I don't know that you can predict it's going to be big, but you, you know, for example, Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone is a no-brainer, but the song that you opened the show with, yes, This yes. Is Your Life, that song was written on a Super Bowl Sunday, actually it's Super Bowl Sunday tomorrow. So I'm a big New England Patriot fan and 
the last Super Bowl they were in probably, what was that, three years ago, uh, a, a buddy of mine came up from Florida and my son comes down and we're big Patriot fans. And so to kill time, we went down to my studio and we wrote a song. And we spent about, oh, I don't know, maybe four or five hours on it. And then I just stepped back from it and I thought, this is just crap. I hate it. I hate it. And we were going to just call it quits and go upstairs and watch a bit of the pregame when my friend, he said, I got a little something on, on my phone. And he found it and it just sort of went, this is your life, this is your, something like that, this is your life. And I said, oh, I like that. And the two of them sat there and I wrote this thing, I swear to you, in half an hour. And wow. then we recorded it. We recorded it in an hour. And then we went upstairs and we watched the Super Bowl. And the litmus test is you get up the next day. And when I played it the next day, I just, I, I thought it was really strong. And there isn't a doubt in my mind that if I'd written that song in 1986 to 1991, it would buy you a mansion. But releasing it in 2017 or whatever it was in this environment, the song is just liked by, you know, hardcore Glass Tiger fans and certain people that come across it every now and again. They go, oh, what a great song. But it's every bit as good as anything I've ever written, for sure. So you can't... I don't judge my songs because one got the chance to be a hit and the other one didn't. I just judge them by how well-crafted I think they are. Well, it, it's like you said earlier about your taste in music, right? That you're when you feel like you really want to listen to something, you'll put on something that you grew up listening to, your, the classics. So you can relate to the fact that, you know, a Glass Tiger fan is probably going to want to listen to one of these two behind me, right? Put that on their turntable because that's what they are familiar with. It, it, it's a hard thing for a musician. And when you're a writer and you're still pumping out great material, and Tom, you and I have spoken to so many great songwriters that are still writing today, and that's the biggest frustration. We spoke with Carol Pope last week. We've talked to Gord Depp from The Spoons. Uh, so many of them that have written new music, and it's like, please, somebody listen to what I'm doing right now. Right. Um I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that, you know, if I sit with a pen and I'm writing my book or I'm typing my book or I'm, I'm drawing or painting or I write a song with a young artist who's got dreams of grandeur or whatever, I'm, I'm perfectly happy doing that. Um, I've done a few little cameos in television and stuff and I have a ton of fun doing it. So I'm not, I don't live and die by the sword of my, just my music. I, I know that there's a lot of writers out there who take it much deeper than I do about having new music and it not being heard by the masses, but it just, it is what it is. And I, I have the same process of writing and I always will. And if someone stumbles across it and they write to me and they say, 
I've heard that song, This Is Your Life. It's fantastic. Then, you know, it makes me happy. But if it doesn't get the chance to go around the world, like, don't forget me when I'm gone, dead, you know, so be it. So be it. I love sort of that notion of how the, just the very way that we view success in, in, in the music industry in particular in our world has changed completely. And, you know, what made a successful band in the 80s doesn't necessarily even exist now for the bands that are there today. The success is completely different. Um, but, you know, if we step away from the success part um, and, and we look at, you know, for yourself, you know, you've, you've had many different sort of ebbs and flows in your career and a very, very long career. When were you happiest? When have you been happiest with yourself as an artist and with yourself as a person during that? Well, you know, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, when Glass Tiger made the leap from the basement in Sam Reed's parents' home to the Olympia Halle in Munich uh, and, you know, the, the Juno Awards and playing for 100,000 people at Parliament Hill in Ottawa and all these things that just you dream about and we got the chance to do them. Uh, I'd be crazy to say anything other than that was a great ride. It was fantastic. You know, you're young and vibrant and you're out there and it's, it's happening so fast. The downside of it is that it happens so fast that you probably, you know, and the record company is always looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So you probably don't take enough time to give yourself a pat on the back and say, you know what? Uh, I, I did a great job. I did my best and I wrote the best songs and I deserve this. And because it's just, and then of course it's ebb and flow. And so for us to have maintained the level of a career where we can play Massey Hall and we can play uh, big festivals and we can and we can still play clubs and casinos and and people will still come mm -hmm. and watch us perform. That to me is probably the most satisfying part of it all. That I've been I've been doing this, I've been doing this since I was you know, 25, you know, um, and people still care. That that would be the, the, the crowning glory for me. We have spoken to so many musicians on our show, uh, as well as athletes. And many of the athletes, they always talk about how while they're in the midst of their careers, they really have a hard time reflecting on what they're accomplishing. And it's not until they step away from the game that they can sit back. And like you said, you know, pat yourself on the back. But were you able, like, were you even aware of just how things were happening while they were happening? Or is it one of those things that just are so surreal and you're just living in the moment? You don't even have a chance to sit back and go, wow, this is really cool. You're living in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not recording, you're touring. If you're not touring, you're writing. If you're not writing, you're recording. 
So you live in that bubble and then you're sort of a, within another bubble of the, of the people that you do that with and that entity travels around. And it, it's definitely happening fast. And, you know, we played hard, you know, you're out and you're partying and you're having fun and you're meeting tons of people and, and, and people are treating you a little differently and you've got road crews and, you know, you've gone from, you're not carrying your own microphone in your amp <laughs> in at the bar, you're in the hotel and you show up and you gig and then you leave. And but my life was a little extra fast paced because I was usually getting dragged away. So when the band were in Philadelphia, I'd already moved on to Boston because I had to be up and do this stuff and, and move on. And so I'm not complaining, but it just goes by like a, like a screaming train, just whooshing fast. And so uh, you really don't, it's just all in the moment. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It just always seems to be in the moment. You know, it's it's funny for for someone who's shared their music for years. Um, the, you know, we did some playing together many many years ago, and 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 I left the music industry, and um, I came back um, through a, a, an illness that I had had that had debilitated me for about three years. And it was funny because one of the things that came across, we, we brought up the Instagram feed earlier. I came across your Instagram feed and you, your Instagram feed at that point in time was, a, you know, it's what I described as a wall of positivity. And I started researching what you'd been up to over the last little while. And, um, you know, I, at that point in time was recovering from my own illness, uh, my, my mental illness. And I was vlogging about it and sharing and, I came across a CTV interview that you did after you had had your stroke and you were recovering from that. And, and, and as I looked at all the sharing that you had been doing, um, you know, it gave me an awful lot of hope and, and helped me put my feet in the right direction. And you know, ever since I came across all your, your, your stuff, I've wanted to ask you this question. And the question is what, what made you decide to go public with your struggle? Because you spoke about, you know, barely being able to walk again and and having to relearn all that and those, those are you know there's one thing sharing your music but you shared some very personal struggles and you know i i know for me it helped me just to hear you you were an inspiration but i i'd love to hear from you what made you decide you know what people need to know this well um several things i mean first of all my upbringing I am just a kid from the streets. I was in the streets of Cope Bridge outside of Glasgow and within reason, I had a, a roof over my head and a, a older parents, but they pretty much, you know, home was a place where you got a quick sandwich and then you were back out in the streets again. Uh, and, then, and then I stayed loyal to those, to my parents. And when I became a single parent, raising my own son I shared time a lot of time with my parents because they helped me because when I used to go on the road my son was with them and so my upbringing was very much grounded 
you know, I, I was the type of guy, I'd, I would tour with Tina Turner and play at the Grammys or do what, and then you would just come home and your dad would go, I, you're home. And he'd be reading, reading <laughs> the newspaper and say, uh, how you doing? And there, there was never any, there was no stardom or anything. It's very, very grounded stuff. So to talk about who I am as a human being is very normal for me. Even, even if some of the things that I've done in my life may seem a little extraordinary to other people who, who don't do those things. So that part comes, I come by it honestly. The second part was because I'm like that, when I had my stroke, I didn't realize that some of the hospital staff, unbeknownst to me, would go, guess who we've just got in as a patient? Oh, jeez. That happens. I just got, I'm living in a, a, new, a new place. I've only been in this place a year. And I got an Instagram last week from a, someone I haven't met who now knows I live in this area, right? Oof. So when that happened with the hospital staff, they were trying to find me a, a way to have privacy in the hospital. And I honestly thought I was going to do a little, I, I was very new to Facebook. I don't even think there wasn't an Instagram for me at that time. Can't remember. Uh, but I thought I'm going to tell some people that I'm okay. Not realize, I really had no idea. So with my left hand, which I'm right-handed, but I was paralyzed. So with one finger of my left hand, wow. I went sort of, dear guys, I've had a stroke, but I want you to know I'm a warrior and I'm going to come back. And I hit send. Not, re not realizing that this thing was going to reverberate Right, and now I had TV stations coming to the hospital and people, it was ridiculous. So we then had to take it up a notch and they found me basically like a, an, old, an old closet that was normally used for the housekeeping staff. <laughs> and we turned it into a room and we, we disguised it and we made it because, you know, people... And I had no idea that this was going to have that much attention. So then, because it did, it reverted right back for me to who I am. And I thought, well, if I can help someone else, as I'm on my journey of recovery, trying to get my hand back and get my leg back and learn how to walk again, and uh, then if I can help then why not? And then that, I, I don't know if you know this, I'm a registered nurse in another life. Yeah. Yeah. So the RN came out in me. And so I wanted to sort of health teach a little bit. And that was why the, the, then the chain reaction of that. A really good friend of mine. A really good friend of mine uh, used to work in radio. Bruce Barker also suffered a stroke years ago. You may have run into Bruce, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, there's someone who, you know, has managed to not only defy the odds, but actually, you know, 
go on and, and really improve his life. And I think there's so many people that are going through it that think that's it. You know, like I'll never be the same again. But but you and Bruce are, are living proof that you can recover. I would love to tell you the title of my new book, but it contains a word in it that I call a sentence enhancer and other people call it cursing and swearing. Oh, go for it. You can curse all you want. I swear all the time on this podcast. Okay. (laughs) So I was going to call my new book No Surrender, which felt like a no-brainer for me. But uh, most recently that sounded, sounded a little too preachy. And so my new book is called Why the Fuck Not? I love it. Love it. And and so, for example, I've had a stroke and I'm paralyzed on my right side. I don't think I will ever sing again. Why the fuck not? I'm 65 and I'm divorced. I don't think I'll ever have love in my life again. Why the fuck not? I, I, I don't think I can run a marathon. Why not? Right. So uh, for I'm proud of Bruce for doing this and I'm proud of anyone who can realize that the, the, the little mantra that I sort of have that when I was in rehab, I realized really quickly. I, I identified the people who had strokes that were worse than mine. And I identified people who had strokes that weren't quite as bad off as mine. But within that, that, that group, that parameter, I also realized the ones who had already sort of given up. And some of them who weren't even quite as bad off as I was, I already knew that they were in for a, a rough time. And people, consequently people, or subsequently people who were worse off than I was, I could tell that their fight was on, that they were coming back. And my mantra was sort of, if you're going to be sort of successful at fighting back, whatever that is, whether it's cancer or stroke or multiple sclerosis or the loss of a loved one or whatever it is, there's sort of three little stages I think you have to go through. Number one is is mourning it. You have to allow yourself the chance to mourn. And there's a lot of people that think, oh, I'm just going to get on with it. And they deny it, that it really happened. And, uh, and so I mourned my stroke. It took me about three days of shedding tears. Every face I saw that I knew that would come to see me, I would I just uncontrollably cry. And uh, there was nothing I could do about it. I allowed myself to do that. But after about three days, uh, I went into an acceptance phase. You have to, at some point, come out the morning and accept your reality. And so I lay in that bed with my arm and my leg paralyzed. And it was like, okay, fuck it. What, what, What do I do now? How do I, you know? And uh, when I got into that mental phase, ironically, within maybe a day of that, my 
fingers and toes started to wiggle. And uh, it was like, that was a big deal. My wife and daughter came into the hospital and you'd thought we'd won the lottery, <laughs> watching my toe wiggle. Um, and so that was in the acceptance phase. And then once you've fully accepted it, then and only then can you fight it and you go into the fight phase. And it took me, uh, took me nine months. Nine months. One, it... one of the things I did, <laughs> about a month into my stroke, when I had accepted it and was fighting, I booked two gigs. <laughs> and ironically, because people knew what had happened to me, I, I booked a gig and it sold out like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, they're all curious. <laughs> and so I booked the second one and I sold the second one out. So I had something to work towards. And it was you... a big deal having two sold out gigs eight months away from still not being able to walk or sing. Well, that's what I, <laughs> you, you actually kind of ruined my question. I was going to ask how long was it before you booked that gig? It was yeah. that quick for you. Nine, from the time I booked it to the time I did it was about eight months. And how was the first gig back? Terrifying. <laughs> um, again, I write about it in this new book. Uh, luckily for me, my neurologist is not a hand holder. He's not a hugger. <laughs> and I had a panic attack in the dressing room. And the only one that knew I was going through it was my wife. But we knew that my neurologist was downstairs in the audience. So we sent for him and he came upstairs and he said to me, so what's the problem? And I said, I'm, I'm terrified and my heart's racing. Um, and so he sort of said, okay, so you're feeling anxious. Uh, you're having palpitations. Uh, you feel like you're going to faint. And he listed off all these things. And I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he ended by saying, well, what do you expect? You've had a fucking stroke. <laughs> exactly wow. what he said to me. Were you one of the, the type of people, though, that even if you had all these nerves, that once you hit the stage, that was your safe spot? Or was that even in debate in that first show coming back? Uh, the only, the only difficult thing was, uh, so he didn't hug me. He just basically said, no, shut up. You can do this. I'll be in the audience, but I, right now I'm going downstairs to have a scotch <laughs> with my wife and we're waiting on you coming out to sing to us. And he left. And yes, when I hit the stage, it felt like my playground and my comfort zone, but I can't lie to you. I was having moments of this kind of whooshing feeling that made me feel like you're going to go down, you're going to go down, because I'm, I'm a big singer. You know, I'm in a very high range, and it takes a lot sometimes to push that vocal out. And uh, there was a couple of times where I felt like, whoa, but I got through it. And I got through the next night and I got through everyone after that. 
Well, it's not like breaking your neck on stage, right? That's a totally different situation. <laughs> so you're alluding to the fact that 10 days before, one of the byproducts of my stroke, we think, it's a thing called vasovagal uh, response. It's when, whenever I feel unwell, if I feel like I'm going to vomit, I pass out. And I've had two major incidents. Both, I ended up in hospital both times. But the second time it happened to me, I fell and I broke my neck at C6 and C7. 10 days before I was on a national tour with Glass Tiger and Corey Hart. Did so, you miss a single show? Not a single one. So, wow. uh, so I broke my neck. I had to lay in hospital bed for five days till my blood thinners had worn off before they could operate on me. And then uh, they did a major operation. They put a titanium scaffolding in my neck and uh, Corey Hart was unaware of this. And uh, a dear friend of mine had died when I was in and I wanted to eulogize him. So I, I pulled myself off of my painkillers and I went to his funeral and I eulogized him. It was excruciating. It was this horrible, um, but I stayed off the painkillers and I, I finally, from the funeral, news spread in the industry. And uh, Corey Hart and I spoke probably three days before I had to leave for Newfoundland. And I told him, I said, Corey, I'll be there. And I'll be on stage. He said, okay, man. And that was it. And uh, I did it. I'm assuming it was against your doctor's wishes? Uh, my surgeon thought I was a bit of a maniac. <laughs> and? I won't lie to you. But and are he you? Didn't, he didn't think he didn't think that I I couldn't sing, but he really thought that the energy required, the possibility of passing out, the travel, he thought that was insanity. Wow. But uh you know. I tell you what, uh when you mentioned your first book, I was thinking, okay, that was a great book. I, I'd love to read something that was more autobiographic. And it sounds like this new one is definitely going to, to be that. When can we, you know, possibly see this book on, on the shelves? Well, I'm probably halfway through. Okay. But I won't lie to you. COVID, COVID makes, when you think, oh, you've got all this time on your hands. It's easy. It's not because, 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 mm -hmm. right? Because COVID affects everything. And it does get, you know, a bit depressive at times. And you, you, you feel uh, anti-writing. I'd rather just watch a good movie. I'd rather watch Back to the Future and pick my spirits there up. There you go. <laughs> and, and, and do my 10,000 steps in the house. But I'm probably halfway through it. Wow. We'll see. Well, I'll tell you what, once COVID is all done, I have like almost like a drive-in setup in my backyard with a big patio and a big movie screen. We'll get some ales. We'll watch back all three parts of Back to the Future under the stars and just 
just be thankful that uh, COVID has come and gone. How about that? All right, man. So awesome. Alan, thank you so very much for doing this. Stay well, man. It's always great catching up with you. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, you guys take care. Tom, you look after yourself. And uh, we'll, we'll, t we'll talk again soon. There is Alan Frew. And, uh, you know, quite a conversation, Tom. And, again, you haven't spoken to him in an awful long time. Like The last time you actually had a chat with him was it pre uh pre-stroke oh yeah 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 like when when i was playing for the young girl he was managing um god it would be back about 2008 maybe 2007 so like 13 14 years and uh you know he hasn't changed that much <laughs> this you know just no despite he hasn't and he can still sing. He still has oh, his pipes. Oh, can he ever? Yeah, that's uh, you know that's something that impresses me every time I hear him sing. Is just how quickly he can fill a room. <laughs> and you know, I, f I forgot to mention it to him, but years ago in, in the '80s, they're playing Ontario Place, the form at Ontario yeah. Place, and there was a little area where fans used to hang out backstage, kind of like, and the artists would have to pass by you to get out of Ontario Place to their car, right? Yeah. So a bunch of us would, would hang out there, and we did that after a Glass Tiger show, and I, I was in my first band. I was like 16, 17, and Al, there's Alan Frew. I said, Alan, Alan. He goes, hey, how are you? And I'm like, do you have any advice for, for a young, young band? And I thought he was going to come over and talk to us. He goes, yeah, don't drink, don't do drugs. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm like, words to live by. What? Big thank you. <laughs> Big thank you to Alan Frew for joining us here on the program. Uh, Thomas, uh, I cannot tell you who we're going to have on next week yet, but uh, just check out our social media. Follow us on Twitter at Barry Davis underscore at what are you, Thomas the Fourth? Something like that. At, uh, at Fourth underscore Thomas. Yes. <laughs> you don't even know your own Twitter mm, handle. Uh, I know, I know. Yeah, it's at Fourth underscore Thomas. I was right. I did know it. <laughs> okay. If uh, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you want to tune into uh, well every week to Out of the Park, but uh, this coming Sunday, a very in-depth conversation with former Toronto Blue Jay pitcher Scott Downs, and uh, we have a couple of fans that join in on it, including a father who lost his 18-year-old son a few years ago, and this son was one of the biggest Scott Downs fans in the world, and uh, it is a very emotional uh, reunion between uh, this gentleman and Scott Downs, so you'll want to be sure to listen to that. Absolutely. Really, you know, it's a, it's a hard story, but it, absolutely heartwarming to see just the beauty of the relationship that, that they that they had and, and the effect they had on each other. It's, it's amazing. Thomas, as always, have a great one. And for all of you listening, thank you so very much for making us a part of your week. That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I'm Casey Kasem.